Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four, to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. All right, everybody. Special episode of Fixing Your Agile Coaching. I'm Ryan Ripley. That's Chris Williams. Chris, um, go ahead and introduce yourself real quick. You've got the uh, the badass let me make sure I got it right. The Badass Agile podcast, right? That's the one, yeah. And I have my education program, which I call The Forge, which is all about leadership, really, and agile or non-agile teams. But basically, you know, we do similar stuff, right? Working for big clients and trying to bring great delivery practices to the world. So I think folks that generally, I mean, when I'm on my show, I frequently talk about your stuff because I love your stuff. Well, thanks. And we've done some stuff together before. So I feel like... I feel like if one knows one, one possibly knows the other. Oh yeah. Oh, I, I'd imagine there's a lot of overlap in the groups. And so, um, and that's a good thing, right? So definitely oh, yeah. a good thing. We're the agile for humans family is definitely a big fan of Chris and the forge and all the work he does very authentic, uh, message and delivery. And so, uh, definitely good, good overlaps. I'm happy to be in that Venn diagram. How about that? There you go. So Chris actually pinged me. So for, for once, I w he actually said, hey, man, we need to talk. And I was, I like to talk. So Chris, what, what got your attention and what, uh, what led us to be in here other, other than serendipity? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it was just, we were kind of due, but it, we were both looking at a thread where people have been discussing something that's dear to my heart, which is where's this whole thing going? Because I think there's a couple of factors and forces in our industry that make it easier or harder to be credible and to deliver value. And so as more people are starting to say, well, what's next? Because times are changing, but if agile isn't changing or if no one's driving the change uniformly, what happens? How does this, how do we keep adding value for the people that we serve? And one of the things that comes up, one of those factors or forces that can affect our credibility is what I call the infantilization of agile, which is trying to make it so playful and so simple to understand and to communicate that in a way it undercuts the the seriousness or the, the the value of what we do and so this sometimes shows up in you know creating these templates for all the different ceremonies or 
you know, trying to liken the various roles to your favorite superheroes or your Marvel comic heroes, or your star Wars heroes and so on. And far be it for me to say anyone, you know, stop doing what you do. If this is what you love to do, this is your voice. This is how you communicate. Awesome. But it's always worth taking a tick and saying, are we potentially doing more harm than good or, or whatever by delivering the message in this way. And the reason I mentioned it is simply because I've been in the tech business for 30 years now. And even in my early days, I can remember before agile going into coach a, a group of bankers. And one of my colleagues was like tossing out candy if they got answers to questions, right? That kind of thing. And our company lost the gig because we were told they felt like trained circus seals. They felt like children. And so I never forgot that. And every time I see one of these cartoonish things, these themed retrospectives as an example, or themed ceremonies, I sometimes wonder, are we treating people like children? And the funny thing is, every time I start a new gig, someone will say, oh, man, we got this one coach over here. And they're coming in, they're bringing in, you know, their Darth Vader costumes and they're, they're like, we just, we leave and we feel so uncomfortable and it happens frequently, frequently enough that for me, it's a concern. And, and I say, why don't you just tell them? And they're like, we don't want to hurt their feelings. Like that. we understand what they're trying to do. We don't want them to feel bad, but we don't know how to tell them that this isn't what we value. This isn't what we want. So I've been seeing it more and more, and I've been seeing way more of it on LinkedIn. So I thought it was a good time to reach out to you and say, what is this? And what do you think of it? So yeah, I'm going to let you take your cut. There's just been a huge uptick of this and I, it caught my attention. I've always hated this stuff. Like I, you're much, you say it a lot nicer than I do. I'm more of the cynical I, I feel like the the old man sitting on the porch yelling at kids. Uh, You've sometimes on- referred to yourself as the gr- as the grumpy scrum master, the grouchy scrum master, the angry. I can't remember what it is. I'm getting old, and I yeah. I just I'm watching this stuff, and but it also makes me kind of you know think back to when I was new, and when I was excited about something, and you know, and I remember when I was at a agile coach camp, and Esther Derby and Diana Larson and Don Gray pulled me aside and said, "Hey, calm down." Um, we see potential in you. Uh, we think you're saying some smart things. You're saying a lot of not smart things, just calm down and, and learn the basics and work really hard and become very competent and then get your idea. And I, and I took that, that, that advice to heart. And I really appreciate that people like that would pull me aside. And I feel like as I've gotten older and I've you know worked for the past 20 plus years in the industry, delivering things, and now I get to teach it and train it that um, I might be in that position someday to pull someone aside and say, Hey, calm down. Just mm-hmm. these right. things, you know, these star Wars retro formats are cute, but go grind it out for five years in the trenches and deliver some product and get some competency in what you're doing and quit hiding. You know, there's so many discussions, Chris, about mm-hmm. I have imposter syndrome or I have, mm-hmm. there's all these psychological techno babble, nonsensical things. It's just go work. Mm-hmm. Go do the work and 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 get good at the work and then come out here and talk about what you learned about the work right. um, instead right. of these these proxies for competency. Mm-hmm. Oh, I made this format or, oh, here's some Lego bricks or, oh, here's I'm in my Darth Vader. Up. I had a I had a scrum master and he's actually an excellent. He was I chastised him for doing this because he's better than this. Right. Like he is an amazing scrum master. Let's do an Oreo tasting retro. 
-hmm. and he went to a store and bought 20 different types of Oreos and, and really just turned it into a joke. And it's like, no, you are so good. This is beneath you. Um, and that's, and, and so that's kind of where I'm at with all this. It's, you know, you have the agile dad and the scrum moms and it's just go do the work Mm -hmm. and go get good at the work. And if you've never done the work, stop trying to coach and teach the work. You know, that's kind of where I've, I've leveled out on this whole topic. And I'm sure people are going to blow up the comments and there's going to be some really hurt people by that. But if I hit you, I wasn't trying to miss you. Like it is, it's, this is Chris, everyone says what's next. Yeah. What's next in my opinion, opinion is let's prove that agile and the things that we're preaching and practicing and doing are actually working. Sure. So that's why go, go ahead. Well, I have a theory on what you discussed, which is doing the work. And it's not just the doing of the scrum master ceremonies and so on, because there's a lot of debate about, you know, I would say agile isn't a thing. What time should I have my standup? Doesn't matter. Yeah. Flip a coin. Uh, what should I call my standup? Doesn't matter. Flip a coin. Um, you'll learn as you go. If there's a right or a wrong answer, you'll find it. But here's, I'll give you an example. When you hear about, and you've written a great book called Fixing Your Scrum, so you deal a lot with fixing common problems that happen in the implementation of Scrum, thinking about a retrospective, what are the top one or two really big issues that you almost always have to solve with a retrospective? I I think the biggest one is not following through on any action. I think that's probably the biggest. Like If we're going to take all this time to be vulnerable and to speak truth and to risk looking foolish, and then you do nothing with it, I won't speak again, and then the yep. retro is worthless. Right. Um, and, and what's so I, the other one? Another one that people would bring to you and ask you, hey, Ryan, you know, I've read your book, I love your stuff, or or I'm um, a question that might come up on Agile for Humans. What's another one? For the retro? Yeah. Um, you know, does the Scrum Master, so Scrum Masters will come to us and say, I feel left out. I always oh, have to facilitate. Why can't I participate? And it's like, you can you don't have right. to facilitate the event. You need to make sure that it happens. And so there's a misconception there that a whole person, you know, the the inclusion and the participation is another big one. It's like, well, the product owner wants to speak in the re- Yeah, they should. They're a team member. Mm-hmm. Well, our right. manager wants to attend. Well, they probably shouldn't. But unless there's something going on, invite, you know, so uh, it's almost like the roster is a big contentious thing as well. Sure. And the, and as you said, the participation, the people show up and then they don't want to contribute. So you're going to have a, a, you know, a team of 10 people and there's going to be a bunch of developers and they're going to be from different locations and different backgrounds and different styles of working. One or two of them is not going to enjoy retrospectives. They're not comfortable speaking up. They don't want to offend other people. They may be passive aggressive, a whole bunch of different problems. None of those are scrum problems, right? None of those are things that, or in the main, the process would fix it. You can't process down someone who doesn't want to contribute or someone who doesn't feel like they have the right to speak. That's a human problem. It's a coaching problem. And so I understand where these themed retros come from. We're trying to open people up a little bit, right? We're, try- we're also trying to make work more fun. There's the, there's the argument that by having these different themed retros, work becomes more fun. There's a couple of problems with that. Fun. I mean, my wife always says work is called work for a reason. You're trading your labor, your sweat, your problem solving ability for money. And it's not necessarily supposed to be fun all the time in the sense of like, there's fun where it's like, I love my job. I love what I do every day. Every day I get up, I can't wait 
to get out and start doing what I do. I have fun because I make it fun. But the kind of fun where you're rolling around in your tummy, dangling your shoes and playing with your Lego, like bring your toys to work. I don't think that's what we mean by making work fun. It's not always going to be fun. So I don't know that that's necessarily the best way to open people up. If you have a contribution problem or if you have an imposter syndrome problem, I don't know that the templates necessarily help. I do like the idea that there should be, you know, if you really want to help people, you know this because you're a trainer. If you want your learning to stick, there should be an emotional experience in there somewhere. Laughter, a moment, an aha moment, a moment of feeling like you're supported by the person to the left or to the right of you. So we'll try to bake those things into the experiences that we build, but not, you know, like Chewbacca, where you're going to going to Party City yeah. and getting a Chewbacca outfit, that kind of thing. So I'll stop there and let you. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, Chris, so Esther Derby and Diana Larson in their book, Agile Retrospectives, laid it out. Set the stage, gather data, generate insights, decide what to do, close the retrospective. Mm-hmm. And so what emerged from that, because some it's five tricky steps, metaphors emerged, mm-hmm. right? So sailboat, for example, the mm-hmm. sailboat retrospective covers all five steps. Right. So you're setting the stage. The stage is that we had this sprint um, or we had this iteration. It doesn't have to be scrum. And here's the environment that we're in. And we do an icebreaker and we, you know, do whatever we need to do in order to get people comfortable with the fact that we're about to talk about difficult things. We use the sailboat format to gather data. You know, what was the wind in our sails? What was the anchor in the sea? What were the monsters in the ocean? What were the. You know, were we rowing together? Do we know where dry land is? Do we know where X marks the spot? And we take that data and we 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 combine it, we refine it, we generate the insights. And based off those insights, we decide what to do. What's our next step? What's actionable? What's, what's potentially um, useful? And then we close out the retro. We summarize what we discovered. We look and take another look at the sailboat and we move on. And, and as long as the metaphor leads to those five steps happening, that's great. But when you have an agilist go on LinkedIn and post a Tinder format for a retrospective, I don't believe all five are going to, I mean, the data is missing, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether or not you would swipe left or right on something that happened in a, it's just inappropriate, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, it's, um, it's not professional. It's not, I mean, look, the Star Wars retros and the Harry Potter retros, I get it. They're fun. They're missing at least one of those five steps typically. Mm -hmm. Um, And typically it's the data or the insight that gets dropped, which is honestly kind of the meat of the event. Um, and it just, uh, it just doesn't look, I, my, my background is uh, fortune 500 companies and a few startups mm-hmm. in the fortune 500. If my VP walked into the room and we had a Harry Potter retro going on, he would have fired me. Sure. Like he flat out, he would have said, Ryan, you've lost your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you are not a fit to be a director or an assistant vice or associate vice president or whatever my title was at the time. We're working you out of here. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just it. And so if, if my background's a little different and it skewed me a bit, so be it. It also taught me delivery is key. Sure. Uh, and so I'm, I'm glad my experiences are what they are, but you know, I, I go back to, and what even sparked this whole conversation, I made a quick post on LinkedIn about, Hey, I just got to see the table of contents to Esther and Diana's new book. They brought David Horowitz from Retrium in to do to help with the second edition. And it looks amazing. 
I'm excited to get my hands on it. You know, anything that Esther and Diana publish, uh, you should be reading twice, you know? Um, but I did make a comment. I'm like, Hmm, I looked at the table of contents and I don't see themed retros as a major topic covered. Right. right. And that, that offended some people and mm-hmm. it led to, but it's like, come on, we're, I, yeah, that's, I I'll, I'll pause there. No, no, no. I agree with you hundred percent. Listen, these guys make these themed retrospectives in their, you know, the, for free, they give them away usually. So you, yeah. on the one hand, you have to honor the fact that they're trying to help. They're trying to offer something to the community sure. that they feel has worked for them and might work for others and make the job easier and more fun. I get that, but there's a couple of little problems. One, there's hundreds, if not thousands of these things out there yep. in my mind, that's just going to either confuse people or for new or inexperienced scrum masters, it creates a culture where it's like, it's okay to run a team by script. What do I say here? Uh, I don't know. Let's thumb through which theme retrospectives do you have? Do you have the Harry Potter one here? That one's good for this kind of thing. What we want to develop in other leaders is the intuition in the room and the coaching skill and the library of techniques that you have to move people to what's the objective It's to get better as a team. So it's the proliferation of these things and it's the cost to a company. Like how long does it take to run these retrospectives? How long does it take to build these themed templates? And as people are arguing about this stuff on LinkedIn, it's like, when are you delivering value? Like you only have so many hours in a day, right? If you're, if you're busy arguing back and forth on which template is the best one to use, we should be using that time to figure out where's the value. What does your customer really want? How can we help you get to that sooner? The real problem with all delivery, in my humble opinion, is the fundamental fact that humans working, especially in large groups, and who buys most agile services? It's banks, it's insurance companies, it's companies with weight and finances to support agile. Like a startup would never even consider this stuff. You know what I mean? You're lucky if you have time for a retrospective, but they really wouldn't sit around trying to work with these theme templates because they probably have a close working relationship. But in a bank, I can see why sometimes it's going to be difficult. But the reason why things don't move is the fundamental discomfort with the uncomfortable. So oftentimes, when you have work that's not flowing, you're saying, why did we, why did we build a racy chart? instead of finishing a feature or building something or creating a resource or whatever it is we really needed as a business, whatever would move us forward more quickly. Why did we go build some extra documentation that we know we didn't really need or want? Why do we spend so much time evaluating JIRA versus something else again? It's because that work delays the difficult decisions. It allows us to not be the person who puts a signature on something that ends up sinking the boat. That's when I work in big organizations, that's what I see an awful lot of is that people don't like to move the needle on things because they don't want to be the one that said, I made the call. I made the decision. Building courage in agile teams, we all know, is helping them prioritize the uncomfortable stuff, saying this is the most important thing. It's what the customer wants. It's what the customer will pay for. It's what they're excited about having. Let's build that despite the dependencies. Let's build that despite the uncertainty. I don't believe in my experience that helping simplify 
the retrospective or making agile feel somehow safer will build more courage. So it's not that these things are doing damage. It's just that I don't feel like they're helping the cause as much as you think they are. And the big concern is when you say that, as you mentioned, some people get really upset and really offended. And yet we're supposed to be the most introspective, the most self-aware, the most accountable people as an agile team. That's how we self-identify. But if we challenge that assumption and say, well, maybe this isn't as great as you think, or maybe this isn't working the way you believe it is, then it's like, no, I'm right. I know I'm right. Which is what my mother does when she's losing an argument, right? So I don't, I'm kind of not really open to it. Because I said so. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Yeah. So what about, what about you, when you, when you see these things in action and you believe, I don't really think this would help. What would you say to a person? It's like, put your, put your placemat down. Let's not do the Darth Vader retrospective. What would you suggest to them as another way, an alternative, a better resource maybe? Well, I mean, the, the theme stuff is, it, it's, it, it's kind of like it's putting a, it's putting a layer over what needs to be talked about. And I get why scrum masters do this. I want to make sure, I mean, people are probably listening and go, wow, what a jerk. And I'm not trying to be that way. I'm really, um, I want people to do better. And so your question is really what's better. Um, I think putting aside the toys and the themes and looking at, look, a retrospective, in my opinion, is what made deliver, what made it difficult for us to be successful this sprint. That's the question, right? And I think Esther and Esther Derby and Diana Larson and now David Horowitz have five great steps to get there. That's not the only way to get there, but I think they are they are tried and true. They are they are tested and and they've they've stood the test of time here. Um, but we're really trying to answer what made what makes it difficult for us as a team to deliver. And also if you're in a scrum environment, how do we enhance quality or how do we preserve quality? Right. Cause definition of done is another concern uh, in a retrospective. And so what's better is looking at the actual ways that we deliver. What if you started with what, what's the last thing that happens and we deliver and work backwards and then figure out within those categories, what's difficult. And so you have a, a board of things that we could look at to improve and, and then we can gather some insights about each one and we can look at data. What if we actually, here's a, here's a stunner, Chris. What if we actually put evidence-based management into place and we said, here's what we believe to be true. Here's data that we have around it. We're going to make a few changes here that came from a really solid retro and we're going to prove that what we're doing is helping or we're going to disprove that and try something different. Oh, and by the way, let's also prove that what we're doing is valuable as a team that could help our sprint review. And let's also prove that, you know, that let's actually bring evidence. You know, everyone asks what's next. It's evidence. Companies are going to start challenging us, the trainers, the coaches, the consultants are, is the juice worth the squeeze Mm -hmm. is what you're here doing actually valuable. And we've never had to answer that before. We've never been challenged on that in any perceivable way. Now I think any smart organization that make, goes along an agile transformation is going to make the consultant say, hey, did I get value out of this? Right. Or Because right now it's only the, the consultant companies that can prove it because they're getting those checks. Right. They're getting a, a hundred plus an hour on top of whatever they pay the person. Right. 
well, the rates are a little lower now, but mm-hmm. um, they're 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 making their they're hitting their margins, they're hitting their profits. Did the company benefit from the work? We don't know. Right. right. So I think that's next. When it, with the retro, you asked what's better. Stay focused on delivery. Stay mm-hmm. focused on and then prove it. I think again, I'm I'm biased, so take everything I say here with a grain of salt. I just you know we released a book on evidence based management, but we put a lot of time into it because we think this is next. And so in a retro, how do we prove that what we're about to attempt is going to help us work better as a team? And I think if people focus there as opposed to themed retros or I'm the scrum dad or I'm the agile mom or what all this nonsense and actually focus on gathering evidence and using data and and creating narratives around the work and actually removing true impediments to delivery, a lot of things can get done, you know, but that looks like work. It does. It does. And, you know, there's a lot of teams and scrum masters out there who will say, well, you know, happiness is my only metric. I'm not sure that's going to fly. Enjoy the next round of layoffs then. That's right. That's right. I mean, it's, we need to start speaking in very direct terms, Chris. Like if you're walking around saying, you know, happiness is my only metric. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you're going to make it. I, I, I I agree with you. You can't walk into a mechanic and say, I don't know. Something's wrong. There's a rattle. How much do you think it'll be to fix this? Like, you know, I don't know. I'll know when I know kind of thing. And then you come back and it's like, yeah, it was 1800 bucks. They're like 1800 bucks. I thought there was going to be a $250 fix. It's like, yeah, I feel you, but look at how happy my guys are. Of course yeah. they're happy. You just build them $1,800 for something that maybe did or didn't add value to that person's life. If I'd have known it was going to be 1800 bucks, I would have said, you know what? Let's put that down at the bottom of the list. Maybe right. I'll sell this junk or whatever. But but I think we have in many ways a, an avoidance of that desire for evidence. Is this actually adding value? How will I know? How can I come to that quickly? How can I help my customer get more value? Fundamentally, in 2023, if you don't help customers get more of what they want, like what's in the shareholder report, what do we want? Like what are we focusing on? Where are we going to drive more revenue? Where are we going to drive cost savings? If you don't understand that dynamic within the company, you can't really help them. And I think a retrospective that isn't oriented towards those goals is maybe not as helpful. And again, I don't, I, I hate to smash anyone's work or smash anyone's character. Certainly there's too much of that on LinkedIn and it needs to stop. But nonetheless, I think it begs the question, is this truly helpful? I can see it maybe helping a newbie get their feet wet and comfortable in what can be a difficult conversation, but pretty soon you got to take those training wheels off and you got to do the job of managing a retrospective, like you said, towards value delivery. Yeah. I mean, I think so. And I, and I want to be fair to, cause I feel like I'm just, again, that old curmudgeon. Um, there is a resistance to adaptation in most organizations. Yeah. And so scrum masters and agile coaches and Chris, you and I have both been there. You're running into a brick wall constantly of, Hey, this is a problem. If we do this, we can fix it. And you run into the bureaucracy, the red tape, you run into the, well, if we fix this, we have to admit there was a problem. And if we admit there was a problem, I don't get to, you know, buy that Audi next month or, you know, whatever the, you know, power position, um, perception, these are all power. The politics are very real. Yeah. And if we haven't built relationships, if we haven't learned how to navigate the corporate systems, if we don't understand where the bodies are and who has the cash and who doesn't and 
who needs to be informed and who's going to stab us in the back later. Like These are just real things. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you actually spend time in leadership and management, you know, they're very real things. Um, and if we haven't put in that work, uh, then we're going to find adaptation is impossible. It's also why, you know, I recently stirred some things up by saying, Hey, maybe, uh, the line manager or the development manager should be the scrum master. Yeah. yeah. They're plugged into those things mm-hmm. and they can be more effective. And I think that's where the industry might go. Right. Um, but in any case, it's it's about effectiveness. And if we can't get the adaptations to occur, I can see the temptation to basically say, look, I cannot get the changes needed to help my people uh, get delivery done, to help my scrum team or my, my delivery team succeed. So at least I can make this an enjoyable environment. So at least I can bring that to the table. And so I get that part and I'm sympathetic towards it. Um, and I think that People are doing the best they can where they're at with what they have. I truly believe that they're trying to do the right things. I just, my concern is if you get the perception of um, you're the court jester, you know, and I've watched scrum masters get labeled that that's all they like to play around with Legos and they bring cookies in and they order the coffee and everyone loves them. That person is also going to be the first one out the door when times are tough. And I hate that because look, the world needs great scrum masters and agile coaches. I, I truly believe that the world needs them, right? That when we are at our best and we're asking great questions and we're consulting on, on ways to go forward and we're teaching and training and mentoring uh, and doing the coaching, uh, all those great things, positivity results, effectiveness flow from that. Mm-hmm. So the world needs it. What they don't need um, is this pretend stuff. Right. Like we need people who dig in and do the work and who, I mean, maybe an agile coach should take a leadership role, go be a delivery manager for a while and get in the trenches and help your teams and gain influence. And we, we, here's the thing, Chris, I think we've gotten used to, and I'm guilty of this too, at certain points in my career, I get to stand out outside the team. I get to watch. I don't have any skin in this game. I'm just asking powerful questions and the answers are within you. And I'm just your life coach. Right. And the rates were great and people got wealthy. But, you know, Bob Galen just published a really great post about having skin in the game and that we can't just be life coaches and that we've got to get in there and do the work. And I think Bob is spot on, too. I think I think a lot of us are seeing the trend. I think we're all seeing the train at the end of the tracks. Yep. Right. And I and I hope people take this for what it is. It's not, you know, Ryan and Chris trying to be. um First of all, why am I saying myself in the third person? But we're, we're not trying to be, we're not trying to be mean to anybody. Yeah. But it's just there is a real problem here, and yeah. and it, we're, there is going to be a reckoning if if we mm-hmm. don't get this, if we don't get this corrected. And I think sure. it's not just you know the the people in the field and and the trainers and the coaches that lose out. It's the world and the organizations and the people in those orgs who miss wonderful opportunities to have a better working environment, to work in better ways, to, to have work that matters, you know, connecting them to meaning and and all the great things that we would normally do. Yep. And I think another thing to consider is that when you say day of reckoning, there's an awful lot of people in this role now, not all of them are of good quality. You need something that truly makes you stand out. And I don't think it's the number of templates you've designed, as you say, I think if you want to get asked back on engagements and you want to be seen as a, as a leader in your field, 
You have to be able to say, give me an OKR or something. Give me something that I can help you solve. And I'll yeah. work with the team to help you solve that. And if I hit it, I want a piece. And remember that Agile is not necessarily just a software concern. I think one of the reasons why we have these Star Wars and Star Trek templates is because like me, I was a developer. I began in the nerdery where this is the language that we speak to this day. If I see people who are struggling with, I don't think we can run this project without a project charter and a BRD. I'll pull up the Yoda story where it's like, I can't, like, I can't lift the X-Wing out. It's too big. You can't just lift that out with the force. And Yoda's like, watch this. And when he does it, Luke's like, I can't believe it. And it's like, well, not for nothing. That's probably why you failed. Like, I tell that story all the time, not to bring my toys to work, but because it's something that everyone in the development world can probably relate to. And it's an aha moment for people. Oh, yeah. It's a great analogy. So, so I totally get it. But I also think, remember, at a certain point, if you want to stay profitable, you have to learn how to take Agile to new lands. Where, where can this be used in marketing? I'm fascinated with where can I get people who have a play or a, 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 an album in them and they won't make it because they don't feel like they can't sell it and it has to be perfect before they release it. What if Agile could teach them, make a pitch, make a demo, make a something, build something that's truly and uniquely you and you be the marketing department, and you be the agency, and you be all of those other things, because that would allow you to live the life that you want to live, creating what you want to create. Can some of what I've learned in Agile help people be successful in spheres that have nothing to do with software? Absolutely. Yeah. Could Agile help car salespeople be better at what they do? Absolutely. But only if you can demonstrate clear value in what you do, which means if I walk into a dealership and say, how's your sales? They say, oh, they're okay. What if I can increase it in 15% in the next three months by doing the following things, by focusing on this and not focusing on that, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Those are agile skill sets, but you got to be able to talk the business You know, you can't go, oh. go in there so much and say, here's my placemat with all your favorite Disney characters on it. And Chris, I think your, your car sales story is, is perfect, right? So let's dig into that just for a second. Now, if I walked in having never sold a car, and you're the owner of a dealership and you said, and I pitched that same thing to you. Are you listening to me? Exactly. Exactly. So, but what if I've last 20 years, I've been one of the top salesmen in the state, you know exactly who I am. And I walk in with a system saying, Hey man, I think I can, uh, I can really help here. I think using this, this, you know, this practice, this framework, this methodology, whatever you want to call it. We can we can bump things up fifteen percent. I'll show you how to cut a little bit of waste. That you've got their attention, 100%. and so I think part of this problem that we're kind of putting our finger on too is that we've got a lot of people trying to do this work as a agile coach or scrum master who have never actually done the work. Right. You know, I to put it in outside of software and that I take my my eleven year old son to a a specialized wrestling facility at mm -hmm. least twice a week. And it's because the gentleman out there who's coaching is a three-time international champion, a two-time Big Ten champion, three-time NCAA placer. You know, he was one of the best in the world at his weight ever. Mm -hmm. And so now he now he charges a good rate and he gets the pleasure of coaching my son, which is actually not a pleasure. Um, it's, a, <laughs> it's a good thing he's paid well. You know, no, hold, yeah. my son does great, but 
would I, would I take my son and pay the, would I make the long drive and would I pay the money to someone who had never um, wrestled and who expected Holden, my son to find the answers within himself? Right. <laughs> no. Right. Yep. Never. Yeah. hundred percent. And I don't know why we think we're special, yeah. you know? just wild to me. Well, I mean, it's, there's so many things happening in our industry that are not helpful right now. And it doesn't help that everything is on full public display. Yep. And then you go on a LinkedIn at any given moment. And when one person says, I think this, another person has to say, well, you're wrong. And I think that community is important, but it's not everything. A big chunk of a big chunk of the confusion is that there's all these different ideas and all these different methods and all these different templates and procedures and scripts that people are putting out there that if you don't fundamentally know how to deliver stuff well in a technical environment or in a car sales environment, if you don't have the experience, if you don't have the instinct, you haven't developed that, it's going to be hard for you to coach performance in any capacity, no matter how good your retros are. So I think it's it's, there's a turning point in the industry, and a lot of people are asking the question. The big buzzword is agile dead. I don't think agile was ever a thing. I think what's likely to happen is, like anything else, we're going to take what we learned from agile, put it in our back pocket, and stop calling things agile initiatives. Agile is simply something that is now a, you know, the standard in in the in the practice of delivering stuff. Everyone understands what. A backlog is everyone understands that prioritization has to be based on value. You take those principles anywhere. I don't care if you call it agile. I don't care if you have a scrum master. Those principles and practices are valuable. And I think the future of agility has something to do with that. Spreading it beyond the team room, spreading it beyond the tech room and stop thinking this is a process that you have to follow. Like we're, uh, you know, baking a loaf of bread. If you screw up the temperature of the butter, then your your pastry isn't flaky. It's a lot simpler than that, right? Yeah, I this whole agile is dead. That's the other raging debate now on socials. And like, I'm a big, I love football history. Right? Okay, and so let's talk about the game of football. I'm talking about American football, the real yeah. football. Yeah. Um, all the soccer fans just shut it off, but. Um, <laughs> The evolution of the game, right? The offenses used to run single wing. You know, the old Pop Warner single wing, you, you direct snap to the running back and they run to the power side and it's smash mouth football. And then someone got the bright idea that um, let's do double wing and add a little deception to the game. And then someone said, hey, let's do a little spread offense and throw it every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Then West Coast and Wildcat and all these different offenses came in and every time a significant shift. And now you have RPOs, these run pass options where you have, you know, the, the Jalen, the Jalen hurts or the um, Lamar Jackson's or the Justin Fields of the world who will either run it, throw it or or hand it off. And it's dynamic football. Mm -hmm. And every time these big changes came in, Oh, football offense is dead or everything's dead. And it's no, it just evolved. They took something good from the last thing and they changed it. And now the offenses in football are pretty amazing and the defenses have had to catch up and, and it's just this continual inspection and adaptation. And the point of all of it is winning. Mm-hmm. And I think we really need to get centered on that. Yep. We are working in an organization to win and winning often looks like delivery. That's right. Stay focused there. And yeah. agile is dead. Agile is live. I don't care. I've got a release to go work through. That's right. 
And I'm going to do the best things possible in the, uh, out of the toolkit that I have and out of the toolkit of our team. And we're going to go ship. And if someone, you know, if the purity experts won't show up and bless it as agile, fine. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to go win. That's it. And we're going to prove that we're winning through data, just like uh, Moneyball, just like right. the analytics in sports. Like mm-hmm. they know down to an inch, you know, the, the 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 stride of a running back and how many yards per carry and how many yards after the first hit and how many yards after the second hit and they've got it down to uh honestly a science mm-hmm. and that's where we have to go next we don't get to wave our hands and do a fun retro and oh uh it depends or oh take it to the team or oh protect the t- no more of this cliched um nonsense it's we have work to do we have to prove that what we're doing is working and effective and we need to get these organizations winning. That's right. And if we can do that, call it whatever you want. Exactly right. Exactly right. I like that. Winning. Just win. That's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> it's the whole point. Like you are, you, we are here now. We want to do it ethically. We want to do it kindly. We want to do it. You know, uh, there, there are some morals and ethics, of course, with winning the mm-hmm. way that we win matters too. Yep. But the but the point is, get the ball into the end zone or get the release to the customer, deliver value for people, change people's lives, have a good outcome, have a great impact. Absolutely. Know? So and if you're struggling, it. if you're struggling with retrospectives, by the way, people aren't talking, people aren't communicating, people aren't showing up, there's no real value and there's no real commitment coming out of the retrospective, then look at some of the other books like what uh, Esther and Diane are releasing and check out, by the way, um, the everything to do with this video you're fixing your scrum or what's what's the latest title on youtube what's your channel title uh we do a what's that your daily scrum yeah your daily scrums are out there yeah go through there because just like a lot of people are making these templates for free ryan puts this stuff up for free as well and there's lots of great pointed advice based on real world user questions that attempt to solve this and other problems so if you like these templates, like I said, we would never tell anyone stop talking or stop saying what you're saying. It's free country. If you like something, you go have at it. But the experience that someone like Ryan brings, having been in the industry for decades, he's given back to the community for free in terms of solutions to common problems. So please make sure you check out at least the other side of the equation before you rely too heavily on one particular trick or one particular technique. I think that might be the most civil way of saying it, right? Don't throw all your eggs in one basket. The stuff that's out there by practitioners like us who likewise are trying to help, likewise trying to make it better. I have no interest in being right. It doesn't really concern me all that much, but I am interested in helping people win. Yep. No, I, I appreciate that. And and be skeptical of throwing all your eggs in my basket or in Chris's basket. Or exactly. I think you ought to, there's tons of, you know, there's hundreds, I think there's like five, six, seven, eight hundred videos on our YouTube now. Free courses. Go learn Scrum for free. Go learn EBM for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but then go test that against what Chris says in his forge and what Bob Galen says on his blog and and what, you know, these these um LinkedIn influencers, what they're saying on their pages. Go, I mean, measure all of it. And right. look, if a themed red, let, let's let's talk about the positive of this for a second. If your team just went through a horrible experience, it was a very bad sprint. They need a smile and a pick me up. Go grab a themed retro. I think even better yet, take them to the pub and mm-hmm. just 
do your thing, have a retro, have it, you know, commiserate, do what you need to do. Sometimes a little levity is necessary. Just remember you're trying to get teams to, to win, not just to, um, not just to laugh. And yep. that's the, and that's a hard, uh, a hard distinction to make, but it is. Yeah. Never look for right or wrong on LinkedIn, right? Binary thinking is usually not good news. If there was one perfect way to do agile scrum, et cetera, everyone would be doing it that way. The truth is there isn't. And so, you know, I'm still learning every day. It's the best part of what I do. Oh, and I've, I've probably been wrong at least three times on this video. So there you have it. There you have I mean, it. I I'm wrong every day. I, I, um, I won't share exactly what I did yet, but I did something incredibly stupid this weekend. That's going to cost a little time and money. Right. Um, I'm sure I'll do something next week. That's equally stupid. And yep. look, and early in my career, I had people around me who cared enough to pull me aside and say, Hey, calm down. Mm -hmm. Like you are talking a lot and you haven't worked a lot. Just And they said it very kindly and they were very gracious and they spent a lot of time with me. And I just, I'm really grateful they did it. And I hope everyone out there, look, do what you need to do for your teams. Take, take me with a grain of salt, test things out, get evidence, you know, keep, keep sharpening uh, your skill set. you know, get into the forge, learn how to do things better. Um, but uh, talking heads aren't always right either. So that's right. That's right. But what I appreciate about you is you're always advancing the craft. And so that's why I pinged you when I saw that comment, it's like, this is an interesting topic and I think people needed to hear this. So I hope you'll accept it with a grain of salt, but also with a grain of humility and say, well, maybe I'm not hundred percent right. Maybe this isn't the only way, maybe this isn't as effective as I think it will be. Big hint, by the way, is I've never not once had a VP or a CXO ask me, Hey, can you make sure you do themed retros? Like, it's just not something at the executive level that they ask for. What I know they want though, is bring me a victory. Would you bring me a win? Make this oh, yeah. better somehow. So that's a great way to wrap up the topic. Ryan, thanks so much for the invite. It's an honor to be on your show. And uh, it's always an, a pleasure to speak with you. Oh, likewise, Chris. I'm glad you reached out and I uh, hope we do it again soon. Well, we're going to do it. We're going to talk about your new book. All right. We'll make sure so, to do that. That sounds good. Thank you, Ryan. All right, everybody. Be sure to like and subscribe. Do all the things you're supposed to do on YouTube. Hit that bell so you don't miss great conversations like this with awesome people like Chris. Uh, be sure to check out his forge and all of his stuff. It's in the description, read it, click it, do it. Uh, our socials are listed. If you're into socials, that's where we're at. Some videos are going to pop up. It's our free scrum course and our free EBM course. Hey, they're free. No excuses. Go learn and then do some awesome things for Chris. I'm Ryan. Go forward, facilitate some great retros, get some deep learning, make some change happen. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and scrum on.